This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good morning. It is Saturday, the 9th of September 2023, and we are revisiting our topic from last week. We are talking about self care and how we have been managing to look after ourselves over this first full week of term. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Good morning. It is a very sunny 18 degrees right now. That is, let's just do the conversion, 18 Celsius in Fahrenheit. Sorry if you can hear the tapping of my keyboard. Uh, that is 64 Fahrenheit for those of you who are stateside. Um, so that's quite warm for 9 a.m. We are in the midst of our belated summer. Lots of people of course, I've been talking about how, um, how in inverted commas, bad the UK's summer was this year. Uh, like I said last week, I didn't find it. Uh, I quite enjoyed the, the, the clouds, the shade that was, that was going on. But we are compensating for it now, of course, just as all the kids have gone back to school, which is quite typical. That means that in the news... We've had a lot of discussion once again about uniform Um, and, you know, we've had all of the usual stories of children being sent home. We always get these at the beginning of the year. You know, children are being sent home for wearing incorrect uniform, for having the wrong shoes, for whatever it may be. And then we've had stories, particularly uh, this week, more so than I remember from the start of the school year before, Um, about children in their uniform, particularly at secondary, you know, with blazers, with shirts, with ties, and whether it's been appropriate for schools to continue to uphold their uniform policies um, in light of the weather that we've been having. And it is an interesting conversation. The whole conversation around school uniform um, is an interesting one, because, of course, school uniform is not a worldwide phenomenon. Um, It's actually relatively rare for schools to insist on uniform. Uh, The justification in the UK tends to be that it prepares us for work, where uh, businesses, enterprises, whatever it might be, will have essentially uniform policies. And so it's good for children to get used to the fact that they can't just wear what they want when they want to. When they go out into the workplace, they will have to wear business wear, they will have to wear... Uh, protective gear if they are in manual industries, you know, and that the clothes are there not just to make a fashion statement, not just to to show off what you got for Christmas, but also to keep you safe and to keep you protected. But on the flip side of that, of course, there are instances where clothing does not keep you safe and where clothing actually can contribute to ill health, 
And that's one of the arguments that's being put forward, that has been put forward this week um, about schools maintaining their winter uniform policy um, in this heat. Uh, you know, is it right that we have our children sitting in uh, sitting in classrooms in their jackets, in their blazers, in their ties, when we are hitting, you know, 30, 31, 32 degrees? What's quite interesting, though, is that a lot of the reports that we hear, um, a lot of the things that we see on the news, that we read online, they don't take the common sense of schools into account. I think it would be a very rare head teacher, it would be a very foolish head teacher, who would not look at the weather and say, right, it's going to hit 32 degrees at lunchtime today, therefore this afternoon the children don't have to wear their blazers. People, I think, tend to forget that teachers, that head teachers, that policy makers are people, that they understand children, know what 30 degrees feels like. They know what 30 degrees feels like in a shirt and tie and blazer because they wear them too. Remember that teachers in the UK, we have uniform policies as well. We have staff dress codes, um, which are invariably all the same. They are all business wear. And so, you know, we do know what it is like. And so the first moment we can say to a child, no, it's okay, you can take your blazer off, we will, because we want to keep the children safe. In fact, we've got a whole paper about it called Keeping Children Safe in Education. Um, and if that doesn't sum up our attitude towards the safety of children, I don't know what does. The, the interesting one, though, for me, because I quite often think that the 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 heat gets blown out of proportion a little bit. Um, the interesting one for me has been the shoes. So, and again, we get this one at this time of year, every single year. We hear about children being sent home from school or being put into isolation because they are not wearing the correct type of shoes. And I'm going to be honest, I don't know which side of the fence I come down on um for this one which is why i'm not a policymaker. um <laughs> i think i am too um i'm too able to see both sides to be a policymaker. because on the one hand i understand what the parents are saying uh you know children have gone in to school in what appears to be appropriate footwear um and they have then missed entire days of learning because the footwear does not meet the standards of the school's uniform policy. On the flip side, I understand the school. And I understand somebody saying, you know, we have a policy. You have been made aware of it. We've told you what we need to wear. That has not been followed. And so there should be consequences. And then on the flip side of that, so I've now somehow got myself a bit of a three-sided coin, you have to wonder to what extent does it matter what shoes a child wears? Again, if we're preparing them for the workplace, absolutely fine. But I wonder how many workplaces have policies that stipulate exactly the type of shoes that children must wear. I wonder how many schools have exact policies that stipulate what type of shoes a child must wear. 
and whether the fact that it crops up in the newspaper is um, is because it's a rare occurrence as opposed to it being something that is endemic within the UK. I also wonder why when this happens every single year, and I'm saying this as somebody who is not a parent, but when we know this happens every single year, when we know that schools are very strict about their uniform policies, why not just follow the policy? I kind of, I don't really understand why you wouldn't just buy the uniform that is required. And then again, I understand that this opens a kind of worms about how much uniform costs, um, about individuality, about expression, about keeping up with the Joneses, which is something that uniform is supposed to abolish, but actually can happen in terms of shoes, because shoes are the one thing that, that the children have some modicum of control over. You know, the policy might say, black brogues but it doesn't specify exactly brand price shade whatever and so that's something that the child can choose so it all just gets a bit messy it all just gets a bit messy i will say i do continue to be in favor of uniform personally um because i think it cuts down on the keeping up with the joneses it cuts down on the classism that can be inherent with does this child have the latest brand of polo shirt of hoodie of whatever um it stops children making inappropriate clothing for the weather under their own steam you know it stops somebody buying a brand new strappy top in february and deciding to wear that into school to show it off and then freezing the whole morning through it stops a new hoodie being worn in the height of summer. Again, just to show off the brand label on the front, on the back, on the inside, wherever it might be. But then talking to the children, because as part of my job as a language teacher, um, I train them for the speaking exam. And at GCSE, uh, of course, school is one of the topics that we cover in languages. And one of the common questions that you ask children about in the speaking exam is, what do you think about your uniform? Um, and quite often that comes up when I practice with them. Quite often that comes up with a, a follow up question of something like, do you think uniform is a good idea? Uh, and quite often the children will say, well, brands are not so important to us anymore. You know, we're not going out and spending ridiculous money on clothes. And so actually, you know, the whole trying to make sure that we're equal doesn't apply more. Now, I don't know, that might make some of the parents in the audience laugh. If you are, in fact, spending ridiculous money on tops, on trainers, on jeans, um, just be aware that maybe your children don't understand that you are spending ridiculous money on those things and just have that conversation with them. But it is quite interesting that the kids' perception is that they don't care so much about brands um, probably not as much as, as my generation did when we were at school. And so we need to think about what the uniform actually does and spin it back round into what the uniform is for in this day and age, for creating group cohesion, for making your kids easy to spot when you're out on a trip because your blazer is bright yellow and so they can be seen which keeps them safe for 
making sure that everybody actually has something to wear. Because sometimes it might be that the, the, the polo shirt that this year three child has is one of the few tops that they actually own. And, and making sure that they need that for school is making sure that they are being clothed. Because we do have extreme poverty in this country. It's, it, there's a whole thing around uniform. There's a whole domain around uniform and, and the different social hierarchies, the different social functions of uniform that can be explored that I think would make for some really interesting research um, for any educational researchers out there who want to look at educational identity, I suppose, which is an interest of mine and how we use clothes to construct that. I think uniform would be a really interesting topic to, um, to have a look at. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. RAC remains the top education story across many media outlets, with the BBC focusing on the impact the issue is having on universities across the UK. The news website refers to closures of lecture theatres, science labs and student unions. So far, 14 universities have told the BBC that they have closed or partially closed areas containing the reinforced autoclaved aerated concrete. Some lectures have had to be relocated and a small number of universities have had to find alternative accommodation for students, as halls of residence have also been affected. This has placed additional pressures on universities already facing housing shortages with charity Unipol suggesting that student housing shortages are going to get worse in some cities. Student numbers are growing, but the number of new rooms is tumbling. This is largely due to high building costs, older buildings falling into disrepair, and now rack concerns are adding to the issue. Last week, the DfE published the list of 147 schools in England built using the concrete. Six unions have now written to Education Secretary Gillian Keegan asking a series of urgent questions. The BBC says that Essex is the county in England with the most affected schools, with 25 closed, partly closed or making alternative arrangements. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak has dismissed suggestions that he was at fault for the concrete crisis. During Prime Minister's question time, he said his government had acted decisively whilst opposition leader Sakia Starmer referred to him as Captain Hindsight. In Wales, only two schools have so far been affected by RAC, but First Minister Mark Drakeford said inspections were ongoing. In Scotland, Humza Youssef has outlined his plans for the coming year, with a heavy focus on expanding childcare provision, saying it is the best way to support families. This plan includes the recruitment of a thousand more childminders by 2026. Free childcare hours are being extended to two-year-olds across the country. There will be a pilot of expanded care from nine months to the end of primary in six local authority areas and free school meals for P6 and P7 pupils moves forward. But those in receipt of the Scottish Child Payment will receive them first by 2024, with others following by 2026. Last week, Mr Yusuf also commented on the issue of banning single-use vapes and link this to the comments made about young people using vapes too often. 
He stated that the government will consult on curbing the sale of disposable single-use vapes, including consulting on an outright ban. According to The Guardian, South Korean teachers have staged walkouts over harassment by parents and students. Thousands of staff attended a rally in Seoul demanding better protection after a number of teacher suicides. Teachers are being increasingly vocal about their experiences of maltreatment, including being accused of child abuse after disciplining students. Around 15,000 teachers attended a rally last week and some schools had to temporarily close due to a lack of staff. As of June 2023, 100 school teachers had died by suicide in the country since 2018. The current education ministry blamed the current situation on previous governments, saying that they had overemphasised students' human rights over teachers' rights. Finally, The Guardian also reports that a city in Japan is tackling a rise in truancy with the help of robots. Two schools in Kumamoto have purchased mechanical assistance to help children regain confidence in dealing with teachers and their peers. It is hoped the robots will encourage children to attend classes remotely and eventually coax them back in person. The robots will be equipped with microphones, speakers and cameras. Students learning remotely will be connected to the robots via laptops, allowing them to attend and take part in discussions. The robots will not be confined to classrooms, but be free to roam so pupils can take part in other events and enjoy social times remotely too. Japan, like many countries, including the UK, is facing a rise in the number of pupils refusing to go to school since the pandemic. Could robots be the key to improvement? This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week we've all returned to work and I'm going to discuss the old argument of digital or paper diary. For every argument for going digital, there's a counter argument for not and vice versa. You can access a digital diary from anywhere on any device, but if you don't have a signal, it's useless. A paper diary can't get hacked, but it can be picked up and read if left lying around. Get the point. I personally like a digital diary, as it suits the way I work. I can add links to online meetings, add notes and attach documents. I can see my day, week, month, year at the click of a button. And the most useful thing for me is I get reminder notifications. One thing to consider if moving digital this year is policies on phones in your school, as this is the most likely way you'll access it on the move. And probably most importantly, if you're using your phone, Will you be able to resist the notifications from other apps or emails you see when you switch it on to use it? Cost doesn't really apply as a factor because you probably already have a phone capable of running a digital diary. But work-life balance may need to be considered as the diary is there 24-7. This can, however, be remedied by using Do Not Disturb settings for notifications. In the end, it's a personal choice. Are you paper or digital? Let us know at TT Radio Official. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Paper, paper diary, paper diary all the way. There is no question about that. Um, That has surprised some people in the past because I do love technology. You know, I, <laughs> I'm i sitting here right now speaking to you guys through my laptop. Um, that's where I've got Podbeam running. Uh, I've got my phone on and um, 
open up to a website that I will be using to 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 chat about something today. I've got iPad next to me open on a game um, that I was kind of playing while I was listening there to to the news and to Steve and. So I have technology with me all the time. I am constantly connected, uh, too connected, possibly. But I can't use a digital diary. I just can't. I need the the tactileness of a paper diary. I need to actually physically write things down. Um, I need to stick stickers in it. I am one of those teachers. I am one of those teachers with a a sticker book of teacher productivity stickers. So I can see it just over on, it's actually on the floor um, from where I was using it yesterday. But it's open at a page that I've got stickers for prep, for copy. I've got stickers that say test today. I've got stickers that say quiz. Uh, You know, I need that. My planner has got decorated pages to make sure it looks nice. And this year I'm attempting to combine my diary with my professional development journal um, and just having it as one thing. And so, you know, because the plan ultimately will be to, to keep that because it's a record of my professional development across this academic year, I want it to look nice. So it is decorated. Um, Sometimes I can use that as a procrastination measure and I can sit there sticking stickers on when I ought to be writing a lesson plan, but it's cathartic to me. Um, I do kind of need that creative outlet. I I need it to be interesting to look at. Um, If I just look at my Outlook calendar, I get bored and I don't actually take in any of the information. Of course, the downside to that is that I can't have any student information in there. If I'm planning to keep this document, um, I can't have anything related to students in there. So all of that I do digital. Um, I have a digital markbook. Uh, my register is done. My registers are done via our um, online platform anyway. So that's not a problem. But yeah, in terms of like the day-to-day important stuff for my functioning as a teacher not to do with the kids not to do with their results not to do with with their outcomes but just to make sure that i get to the right place at the right time so that the children have somebody there to teach them when they are supposed to i am absolutely a a paper diary person um what i'm about to say is going to sound very outlandish it's the realm of fantasy but i need you to stick with me okay because I think I've got a solution for crumbly concrete. But I do understand that it's going to sound like I'm taking the mick a little bit because this would never, ever happen. But imagine, right, imagine if there were some kind of global disease. Now, God forbid this ever happen, but imagine if it did. Imagine if there was something that was incredibly contagious, incredibly deadly, and it spread really fast, okay? All right, now I know, I know, but stick with me. This is this is hard to imagine, but stay with me, okay? In order to prevent transmission of this disease, things need to start shutting down. Let's call it a, a, a lockdown, just for the sake of plucking a word out of the air, okay? So we have a lockdown. And, and as part of this lockdown, children stop going to school. 
because of course we know that children are quite contagious anyway we know that if there is like a cold or a flu or something it rips through a school okay so let's just imagine for the sake of a saturday morning little exercise that that all of these children because of this lockdown which is a term that i'm copywriting by the way so no one else can use it they start being educated online and the government goes that's a great idea we're going to start pumping money into our online infrastructure to make sure that children can access their lessons to make sure that it doesn't matter where in the country you are you've got high-speed internet you've got a device you can continue to learn even though you can't physically be in school let's say that this happened i'm going to pick a a, a number at random uh four years ago we're gonna go four years i like the number four it's bad luck in many asian cultures but it's a good number for me so let's say that we've had four years, okay, to get this infrastructure in place. Then let's say, again, completely hypothetically, I'm just making up a story. I'm channeling my inner Charles Dickens. Let's just say that all the children are back in school. The, the deadly disease hasn't gone away, but it has been decided that life will return to normal. Uh, and, and so that's what we've done. But then some of the schools discover that they are not safe and that there is the potential for them to fall down and that our children are not being kept safe in their education and then imagine imagine how easy it could be for the government just to say okay that's fine school buildings are being closed until uh this is sorted out but don't worry because you have your device we've set up the infrastructure your learning is just going to be back online there is no interruption Imagine, just imagine what kind of world we could be in if something like that had happened. Now, obviously, I do not ever want there to be a big disease that shuts down countries, that stops us being able to do what we need to do. But imagine how easy or how much easier it could be to deal with a catastrophe in the physical school space if we had an infrastructure to take our schooling into the online space. Because once again, and this has become my mantra over the past few years, I will say that schools are education providers and so should not be treated as babysitters. I'm really glad, I'm really glad that we are getting this push to have more childminders and that we are having this push for longer wraparound care, for more affordable wraparound care. Because I understand that parents work. I understand that parents quite often need to work in order to keep their family functioning, in order to keep their children safe and well and happy. And, and so I understand that those children need somewhere to go where they can be looked after. But that doesn't need to be a school. The fact that we have homeschooling in this country shows that that place doesn't need to be a school. And a school's priority should be the educational bit. And so instead of schools realizing that one of their buildings 
has got this kind of concrete and so they need to shut that building down and then scramble to find space it should be much easier for a school to go okay we are just online until this is sorted and there can be spaces for children to go there can be childminders there can be babysitters there can be things in libraries where children can be supervised and they can be looked after while they are on their devices doing their learning. And I understand, you know, because I, I pictured it as I was saying it, how it might seem like that's a waste of money to pay an adult to babysit and another adult to educate when you can get two for the price of one. But I will also say that as teachers, we get paid for the educating bit and we don't get paid for the babysitting bit. We do that out of our duty of care. And that's often the toughest part of our job. The emotional issues that the children have, the friendship issues, the behavior that is prompted because they are stressed and they are anxious and they are tired because of the heat. All of that takes place, let's be honest, in our free time, because quite a lot of the time how we are paid comes down to how long we stand in front of the children and educate them. So yeah, I quite like my little fantasy land, where it's very easy for education to not be interrupted, because we can just move online and we can we can use the wonderful, wonderful world of the internet to broaden our children's horizons. But unfortunately, it is a pipe dream. So until, I don't know, until something drastic happens, I suppose, we just have to accept the fact that education will be interrupted because it currently relies on physical space when it really doesn't need to. But anyway, that's not what I'm here to talk about. Um, I am here to talk about work-life balance and self-care. This was the show that I had planned to do last week, but we kind of went off on a tangent, a very important tangent um, on mental health and depression and anxiety among teachers. And I would like to thank everybody who responded to that show, everybody who commented on that show, um, because again, like I said, it is an important conversation for us to be having. And it is fascinating to hear different people's stories. So thank you to everybody who has reached out and shared their story. Um, it is, it's good for us all to know that we are not on our own. But I'm going to sit here now and tell you what a massive hypocrite I am about to be. Because my self-care this week has been rubbish. It really has. You know, when you go back to school and you have your New Year's resolutions, and in fact, you must forgive me because I don't remember who hosted the show, but we do, we have had recently a show on new school year resolutions, um, I believe, that you can go back and have a listen to. And I think for most of us, one of our resolutions is let's make sure that we look after ourselves. I am going to prioritize my own physical and mental health to make sure that I am there for my children. And we all said it. And I wonder how many of us then got to yesterday, got home after school yesterday evening and realized that we just hadn't done it. 
there just hadn't been the time, or in my case, there hadn't been the energy. And what I realized about myself was a, a really bizarre dichotomy. So Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of this week, my kids came back in school on Monday. I had inset last week, Thursday and Friday of last week, the uh, 31st of August, 1st of September. And then we had kids back in school on Monday. My Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday this week were relatively easy. Didn't have that many lessons. Um, I had managed to get a bunch of stuff planned over inset. So I was I was ready. And so, yeah, my first three days were quite easy. And I found myself going, oh, well, you know, I don't really need to do any of this self-care stuff because right now I feel fine. Um, that was mistake number one. Because self-care isn't restorative, it's preventative. So you don't do self-care just when you feel rubbish in order to make yourself feel better. You need to make sure that you have those routines in place when you are feeling okay to try and stop you from hitting that rock bottom, I feel really bad point. So I was absolutely fine Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, not doing any self-care, but it didn't matter because I was feeling all right. Then Thursday came and Thursday was a day. Let me tell you, Thursday was a day. Um, for all sorts of reasons that uh, that I won't go into. And I got home from school Thursday evening, about half past five. My brain just shut down. I just, to the extent where I couldn't even watch something on TV. And not even like mindless things. So I quite like um, watching the same shows over and over again. That's an anxiety pattern, by the way. If people with anxiety will quite often rewatch films and series because there is no surprise um because you know the world you know what's going to happen you know the characters um there is nothing new that might jump out at you that might cause you to feel bad so you you go into familiar worlds in order to self-soothe self-soothe it's really hard to do consecutively um but i couldn't even do that I couldn't even put one of those shows on Netflix and just mindlessly watch it. It hurt my brain. Um, so I just ended up going to bed. And then yesterday, Friday, in terms of like the school day, it was a much better day. It was a much more intense day. Um, I taught six out of my seven lessons yesterday. Um, but I was just so tired. I was just so tired. And so again, by the time I fell asleep at about half past 10, I then slept through until about half past four this morning uh, when I woke up. And then I went back to sleep probably by about five and slept again till seven, which is the latest I've been able to sleep this week. So yeah, I have not been, I have not been self-caring this week, mostly because I felt I either didn't need to or I was too tired which is ironic because perhaps if I had done some things Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, when I thought I didn't need to, I wouldn't have been so exhausted yesterday. I also found myself getting quite angry um, at people who were doing self-care, which was interesting. 
I, I was looking at the people who were talking about, you know, how they were going out to the gym at 6am and then going straight from the gym to school and doing the full day of work or those who were going out for a run straight away after their final lesson of the day. And, and I find myself, I, I think I was jealous, to be honest. I was just like, how are you doing this? How are you finding that energy? How are you finding that time? And that's something that I need to work on myself is my, it sounds weird to say my time management, because actually I think my time management is quite good. I do all sorts of things. Um, I do think I manage my time really, really well. But it's about figuring out what I do with my time and figuring out what I do with my time that needs to be done and what I do with my time that needs to be done. Because I don't waste a lot of time, but I do spend maybe too much time thinking about my lessons. I definitely spend too much time on my marking and giving way more feedback than is necessary. I spend too much time tweaking my PowerPoints because I look at the PowerPoint that I taught from last year and even before I consider whether or not it's suitable for the class that I have this year, I'm bored of it because I've already taught it and so I change it. And, and so there are lots of little things that I need to do to refine my practice, I suppose to go, actually, I don't need to change my PowerPoint just because I don't want to teach the same lesson again. Maybe it is more important for me to take that half an hour and read a book or go for a walk or talk to a friend or whatever it might be, because these kids have never had this lesson before. It's just me that's already done it. So that's what I'm going to work on this week. I've decided kind of as I've been doing this reading about self-care, I've decided I'm not going to make sweeping New Year's resolutions. I'm going to go week by week and figure out what I want to focus on each week and make it small. Because that way, if it's a resolution, if it's a goal that I'm setting for myself in the week that I'm only setting because I need a victory and so it's something easy. You know, like when kids revise for an exam and they revise the stuff that they already know because it makes them feel good about themselves, as opposed to revising the stuff that they ought to be revising um, because they don't want to face the fact that it's hard. So sometimes I might need small goals like that. Uh, you know, remember to take my antidepressant every day. I do that, it's part of my routine. Well, most days I remember. It's part of my routine. Actually, I haven't yet today. Um, but that could be a goal because that is relatively easy, it's doable, it requires no exertion. Um, whereas other weeks I might decide that my goal is to have left school by uh, five o'clock every day and that is much harder. When you've still got some photocopying to do, when you've still got five books to mark, when you've still got a meeting to attend, it can be very tempting to just go, oh, those extra five minutes don't matter. But those extra five minutes add up. And so it would be interesting to do a challenge, perhaps, for a week, where you make yourself a small goal, but an important one, and try and achieve it. See if you can do it. So yeah, that is what I'm going to do. I'm going to focus on small goals, some of them easily achievable, some of them a bit more difficult 
and I will keep you informed with how I get on. But I read something interesting this morning, which ties into what I wanted to talk about anyway in terms of self-care. Um, this was an article from Business Insider, and the headline reads, Millennials entered the workforce caring more about work than boomers, but now a survey has found no generation values work-life balance more, even Gen Z. And as a millennial, I was born in 85, um, I find that really interesting. So this study that uh, Business Insider is citing um, comes from the Policy Institute of King's College London, uh, and this was published on Thursday, and around 3,000 British adults were questioned. So this isn't teacher-specific, this is just about the general British workforce. Um, and it posed the question, work should always come first, even if it means less spare time. In 2009, when this study was carried out for the first time, so by 2009, I had been teaching but for two years. So we had graduated into the economic crisis. Um, like my, my, my B.Ed. class, we graduated into the crisis. We all found it very difficult to get jobs because teachers weren't leaving their school because there was no guarantee that you could find another job. People needed the money. And so lots of us graduated into supply teaching, into part-time work. Uh, many people didn't even go into teaching for a variety of reasons. Um, but back then, in 2009, 41% of the millennials who were asked strongly agreed with the statement, work should always come first, even if it means less spare time. If you take the baby boomers, so the generation who realistically are grandparents or our parents, but they were older parents, 29% of them agreed with that statement in 2009. In fact, the only people who agreed more than millennials that work should come first even at the expense of our own free time were those born before 1945. Everybody else, the boomers, um, Gen X, they all agreed that it was more important to have spare time than work time. However, things since then have drastically changed because by 2022, when this study was done again, only 14% of millennials agreed that work should always come first. Which makes us the generation that cares the most about work-life balance. Coming in second is Gen X, because 16% of Gen X agreed with the statement that work should come first. And interestingly, Gen Z is the cohort that most agrees with this statement that work should come first. And what I find really interesting as a linguist, as somebody who spends a lot of time looking at the media and considering how things are positioned, is that if you just listen to the media, 
you will be led to believe that Gen Z is the generation that will quit very easily. They are the generation that don't want to work. They are the generation that are looking out for the 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 highest paid jobs straight out of university instead of grafting their way up the ladder like we all did um, and all that sort of thing whereas this survey suggests that they are actually the ones who believe that work should come first they are also of course the generation that is just starting to graduate into the workplace and so i do wonder whether Every time a new generation starts working, they believe that work comes first. And maybe the more you work, the more jaded you become. <laughs> or the more you work, the more you realize that actually your own life is important. Um, and and that, that lining somebody else's pockets in the case of many industries, not, not in education, uh, but in the case of many industries, is, is not worth everything. Uh, Professor Bobby Duffy, who is the director of KCL's Policy Institute, summed it up as say, by saying, what comes through in this data is more of a steady drift towards a greater focus on getting work-life balance right, rather than any big change in attitudes, which is not necessarily bad for productivity. It's weird, isn't it, how we have this attitude of... Um, we ought to put work first, that productivity is all that matters, that productivity for somebody else is all that matters. And we forget that in order to be productive, we need to be okay, we need to be taking care of ourselves. Um, I talked last week about the, the, the old cliche of um, you can't pour from an empty cup. And again, I said last week that I don't believe that we should be self-caring for somebody else because that stops being self-care. Um, and that just starts being part of your professional responsibilities again. And I do think that actually it is important to be a little bit selfish in inverted commas and, um, and do self-care because you are important because you are worth it. Doctor, uh, Doctor, uh, Professor, sorry, Professor Duffy, goes on to say, uh, there will be a number of explanations for these shifts from the nostalgia that tends to grow as we age, in thinking younger generations are less committed than we were, and the long-term economic and wage stagnation that will lead younger generations to question the value of work. And I think in education, that's a really important one: the value of work. We know that no one goes into teaching for the money. For as qualified as you have to be to be a teacher, you can get lots of higher paying jobs. With the knowledge that sits in our head, we could do that. You know, if I just take my own subject, um, languages, as an example, I could study for a translation qualification. I could become a professional freelance translator with the languages that I have. And I would be paid way more than I am as a teacher. That just is a fact of business. And so you go into teaching for all of the other stuff because you care so much about your subject. You want the younger generation to care for it too. You think your subject is so interesting that you want to be the one to share that 
with other people. You want to help to shape their lives. You want to be the teacher that they remember. You want to help them get the good grades. Those are all the reasons that we go into teaching. In fact, I did a show, possibly this time last year, so you will need to, to kind of go back through the archives, but do listen to it if you haven't already, um, on Why Bother Staying, where I spoke to lots of my colleagues about why they remain in teaching when we see so many people leaving. So please do go back and listen to that one, listen to their stories, because it is quite interesting. But you do have to wonder sometimes, what is the point? What is the value of what I do? Is helping somebody else to get a GCSE enough? Because I, I say it to my students all the time, I've already got GCSEs in the languages that I teach. Well, most of them. Some of them didn't have GCSEs when I went to school. Um, but I've already got qualifications. I don't get another one. You know, I send year 11 into exam halls every single year, but I don't get another application out of it. They do. And I think... If you start questioning the value of your work, and if you start asking, well, actually, why am I giving up my time in the gym, my time to read, my time to walk, whatever it might be, in order to do more work, you're probably going to struggle to find an answer. And so I think maybe that's where that shift comes. Because I think maybe the younger generations, as they are just going into work, they find that value. They find that value in improving their professional practice. Every time they teach a lesson for the first time, it's the first time they've done that. And they learn something about themselves as a teacher, about their practice, about whatever from it. And so there is that, that non-monetary value to it. And then I think as you become more settled in your practice, not stagnated, because none of us stagnate in our practice, we all attend inset, we all do CPD to make sure that we are changing, but as you become a little bit set in your ways, that, that non-monetary value of work starts to dwindle. And so I think you do start to look for more outside to keep you happy. Uh, Tim has texted in a little while ago, so I'm sorry, I wasn't ignoring you. I did see that your text came in. Um, I just didn't want to forget what I was trying to say. But Tim texted in to say, I'm surprised at my Gen X contemporaries. <laughs> Hashtag justice for Xennials. Well, that's true. True, you know, those who are at the... Gen X gets called the forgotten generation, don't you? Because nobody ever seems to talk about you. Um, except... I think that we talk about Gen X quite a lot by talking about how nobody talks about them. Um, but that those of you who were born kind of at the end of the Gen X generation and the beginning of the millennial, you do kind of get swept under the rug more than anybody else, I think, because uh, it is hard to see where you, um, it's hard to see where you sit. But I think, I think with Gen X, you, that's an interesting generation in terms of work because you are i suppose theoretically the children of the baby boomers who who worked hard and and did work hard um and got paid a comparatively large amount of money when things were very cheap 
and had the work-life balance, as we see from this study. And so, you know, for you guys, your parents would have been instilling that value of work and saying, you know, work is very important. You can have it all. Um, and then as you became parents to us, that message was filtering through, but it was a little bit more diluted because of inflation. You know, prices were going up. It, it, it was harder to buy a house than it was for your parents. Um, and again, I think I think that happens as our wages become worth less because prices go up because of inflation. Uh, that can have an impact too. So, work-life balance for let's be honest, anybody who is likely listening to this now, um, because those who had the best work-life balance, those who most prioritized work-life balance are now the retiring generation. And so are likely not listening to me prattle on about self-care. Um, it is important. It is a priority for us. And we need to figure out how to do it. And so that's where, uh, that's where good housekeeping comes into play. Because uh, good housekeeping, uh, back in November, so this is kind of an old article now, but not as old as it could be. They published an article called 50 Best Self-Care Ideas for Mental and Physical Well-Being. Because like I talked about last week, um, we have this concept of self-care as being going to Lush, buying a bath bomb, taking a bath, putting on a dressing gown, and then not doing anything. When in fact, that's not necessarily self-care. That can actually be more harmful than other activities. And it just goes into, it, it, it leans into consumerism. This idea that if you buy a bath bomb, if you rent a film, if you buy a new book, you go out to dinner, whatever it might be, um, you will feel better because you've spent money. And that's not sustainable, especially now that's not sustainable. So we're going to have a look at what Good Housekeeping recommends as these 50 best self-care ideas and activities for mental health. We'll see how many of them maybe we have done this week, how many of them we could have done this week, I could have done this week, had I not um, been a bit too cocky at the beginning of the week, thinking that I was absolutely fine, and then crashed on Thursday. Um, and we'll see how many we might be able to put into place. If you have any suggestions for healthcare, uh, healthcare, self-care activities that are not mentioned on the list that I don't talk about today, please do text in. If you are listening live on the Podbean app, you can text in through that. You can tweet me. I am at Mr. D. Lester. That's M-R-D-L-E-S-T-E-R. That's all one word. And you can do this throughout the year. You can engage with me on this topic throughout this school year, because this is something I'm going to keep coming back to. Because um, this is something that is very important. It's conversation needs to be had. And again, like I said last week, if I am going to claim that I am an advocate for teacher mental health, I need to put my money where my mouth is and have these conversations. So we will keep coming back to this sort of thing. Um, and I'd be really interested to hear what kinds of things you will do 
to um, to take care of yourselves, what things you do that you justify as self-care. So number one on Good Housekeeping's list, and I will tweet out the link to this list a little bit later on um, so that you can go back and read it for yourself. This might be an interesting, almost like a bingo board you could turn it into. How many are you going to do next week? How many of these things can you get a blackout on your card? So number one says zone out for a while. Uh, do you need permission to turn your brain off with a movie or a series? Well, here is your permission. Um, you don't want to just binge through a series, get sucked in and just let it autoplay episode after episode after episode, which let's be honest, we've all done and we will probably do quite regularly. Um, because a sedentary way of life is in fact the complete opposite of self-care. Um, but getting caught up in a narrative, so actually the, the article talks about movies or series, but it could be a book because it's the narrative that is important. And the reason that the narrative is important is that it will always be there. So you can watch two episodes of a series. You can watch 45 minutes of a film. You can read the first book in a series or the first three chapters of a book, and then you can put it away and come back to it. And hopefully if it's got you hooked enough, that incentive to go back to it, there will be that desire to see what happens next that excitement to take 45 minutes out of your day and do a self-care activity. So it's, it's almost like you are tricking yourself into self-care by yourself hooked, by falling for those cliffhangers. And I think there is, there is nothing wrong with a little bit of, of self-deception um, in order to get your downtime. Number two on the list um, they call it dial up some love, which sounds a bit dodgy to me if I'm honest, but it says connecting with a friend when you're feeling lonely or sad can work mood lifting miracles. So they are suggesting that you phone a friend, not anything else. Feeling connected to others is healthy for everyone. It says, uh, when it's just you. So for example, if you are working alone all day, I think that's a dream for most teachers though, isn't it? Just have a day where you are shut in your classroom, no children come, no other teachers come, not even your work BFF. It's just you in your room doing work. That, that would be a self-care activity for us. But if you're alone all day or you're just feeling lonely, even if you've got lots of people around you, your mind tends to ruminate on what's not going well or what you need to do. Your attention will immediately turn to your to-do list. And if your to-do list is a mile long, like it is for all of us, that's gonna be overwhelming, that's gonna be very stressful. And your to-do list, of course, is not even work stuff. You will have a work to-do list, like I do in my paper diary, because I like to cross it off manually. But you also have a life to-do list. Um, you know, going to the dentist, booking your car in for its MOT, um, going and doing the supermarket shop, deciding what you're eating that evening. There are all sorts of things that happen in day-to-day -day routine. 
And that can then swamp your field of vision. And so you kind of get lost in your own rumination. You get lost in your head. Um, the article says connecting to someone or something beyond yourself, your issues don't feel like such a bad thing. It can be very healing. Now, this is not to say that you seek out your most dramatic best friend, that you seek out your friend who is going through a huge health crisis in order to make yourself feel better about your own life. I mean, I think that's a good idea just to check in with them, make sure that they are okay. But, you know, you, you're not doing poor tourism. You are just checking in with other people almost to distract you. Because empathy and being a good person can be distracting. And then by the time you've just had a conversation that is about something other than your to-do list and your work and all that sort of thing, you will feel better. Um, if you're not feeling up to that, if you are feeling like you want to withdraw from people, if you're feeling like you want to shut down, if you feel like it would be a heavy conversation and you're just not in the mood for that, then going to somewhere that there are people but you don't know them can also be very beneficial. So going and sitting in a cafe, going and attending a workshop or a class, that can also be very beneficial because it's, it, it's fake connection. Um, I think, I don't know, I'm not, a, I'm not a psychologist, but I think that there is something about our brains that, are, that is wired to respond to other people, even for those of us who are introverts, even for those of us who most of the time would avoid other people if possible. And just being around people sometimes can recharge those batteries. Number three on the list says, be inspired by hashtag self-care Sunday. No matter where you turn, someone is probably talking about self-care. Well, yeah, you knew that, okay? If you clicked play on this show and me talking about self-care is a bit of a surprise, that means that you didn't read the description and that's on you. Um... Self-care is the movement that's all about putting you first, physically, mentally, and emotionally. And before you think I have zero time for myself, repeat this, self-care is not selfish. Well, as you know, as I've touched on today, as I talked about last week, um, I'm not sure that I agree with that, but I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. Because I don't think that prioritising somebody else in your self-care is actual self-care. Um, I think that's just faux altruism. Um, when you put your best foot forward, everybody wins. So over the next few months, spend some time making every single week count and realise how valuable that is for your health. I think most of us try and take one day off a week. Um, that's easier said than done. Um depending on your school context. I think lots of teachers do seem to work on Sundays, I've noticed. And so maybe you will take a self-care Saturday uh, where you don't think about work. I'm going to advise that you don't do that. Um, I'm going to advise that you take self-care Sunday, only because if you take self-care Saturday and are not thinking about work, you probably won't tune in to, to Saturday morning breakfast. And that will be detrimental to your life and to your self-care, quite honestly. So I'm going to suggest self-care Sunday, do all your work on Saturday, 
and then just have a good time on Sunday doing whatever it is that you need to do. Tip number four, spend 20 minutes clearing out your clutter. Yeah, I'm looking around the Saturday morning breakfast studio right now and I have clutter. Dear Lord, do I have clutter. Everything has a place and I know where the place for everything is. It's just that none of it is in its place because as soon as I finish doing one thing, I move straight on to the next thing. So my paper diary is down there on the floor next to the sticker book because I had finished doing my stickers yesterday morning and then I had to go to school. And so I went straight from here over to my classroom and I just walked away from the diary from the sticker book. My school bag is still exactly where I dumped it. I tell you, this place looks like a child's room. I think it's worse than my room was when I was a child because everything is just dumped. But if you put everything away, then that's less visual clutter. It's, it's a lower cognitive load. So we talk a lot about cognitive load in education, especially at the moment. It's a bit of a buzzword. And um, the idea is that is processing all of the time. You know, whenever you look at something, your brain is processing that. Whenever you hear something, your brain is processing that. I'm finding myself a little bit distracted right now because I'm talking to you while I'm reading kind of the article. And somewhere in this building, there's a really annoying tapping noise um, that you may or may not be able to hear. I'm really sorry if you can and if it is as distracting to you as it is to me. But my brain is processing all of those things. And it gets to the point where your brain can't process anymore. And it's the same if you've got clutter. You know, you might be ignoring it, but if it's in your peripheral vision, your brain is still processing it. Which is extra load on your brain, which is extra stuff you are thinking about without even realising you're thinking about it, which is stressful. So the article suggests that you take a picture of a messy area of your home, then devote 20 minutes to picking up. Now notice this isn't about cleaning, this is just about tidying. Um, when the timer rings, when your 20 minutes is over, take a 10 minute rest, or the rest of the day if you want to. But do stop. Because as with anything, if you do a Pomodoro-style cleaning, where you set a timer, you do a task, and you stop when the timer runs out, you will be less likely to procrastinate it. It is much easier to say, right, I'm just going to tidy for 20 minutes, than it is to say, oh, okay, well, today I'm going to tidy the room. And then you spend five hours watching Netflix, three hours reading the book, an hour on your PlayStation, and then it's bedtime. But do try and reduce the clutter. I'm not saying become a minimalist. I'm not saying throw all your stuff away. Um, I don't want you to marry condo your house. But try and reduce the clutter because that will reduce the visual noise that can add to your cognitive load, which you don't want to be worrying about. You don't want to be thinking about when you are at home. 
number five on this, we're not going to get through all 50 ideas, but that's okay. That's okay. Number five on the list is lift weights while you watch TV. It says the risk of cardiac event attack or stroke is up 70, uh, sorry, is up to 70% lower for people who lifted weights twice a week than for those who never did. And that's according to a study from Iowa State. Um, weight training apparently also improves bone density and balance. You don't need to go to the gym for this. You can if you want to. If you are a gym person, like the people I've seen on Twitter this week, go for it. But the article suggests that you buy a set of light dumbbells between £3 and £8, and you just do bicep curls and lunges while you're watching TV. If you don't have weights, and you don't want to invest in them, you don't want more clutter, because I've just told you to get rid of all your clutter, or you don't have the money, you don't have the disposable income to invest in weights, it says to drop into a plank and hold your plank while you're watching TV. Um, to do a plank, ah, and listen to me acting like I'm a PE teacher, telling you how to do a plank. PE department's gonna be so impressed. Um, it says, plant your shoulders over your hands, engage your core and your glutes as you keep your body in a straight line and hold it for as long as you can. Um, a pound of muscle burns four times as many calories as a pound of fat. So the more muscle you have, the more calories you will burn. But the important thing here is not necessarily about burning calories. Uh, you know, we're not fat shaming on this show. That's, that's not a thing that we care about. It's the fact that activity, physical activity, is just as much self-care as watching TV, as reading the book, as listening to the music, okay? So don't fall into the, the, the trap of saying that you are doing self-care when in fact what you're actually doing is just being lazy. Don't fool yourself. If you're going to do self-care, do self-care properly. If we're going to be lazy, then just be lazy. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But just remember that self-care is about mental, emotional, and physical health. And so if, um, if improving your muscle mass through dumbbell curls, through planks, while you're watching TV, is going to decrease your possibility of getting a heart attack or a stroke by 70%, do it. Just do it, because that is self-care. Number six is an interesting one. It says, switch from late nights to long brunches. And I'll be quite interested to see how that balances out, because I don't think that you can do brunch late at night. Um, one study found that 41% of parents said too many late night activities, both their own and their children's, stopped them from getting a good night's sleep. And sleep is key to feeling in control and making good decisions, um, as well as all of the other health benefits that we know come from sleep, that we keep telling our kids come from sleep and they don't listen to us. Um, aim for seven to eight hours of sleep per night. Keep the thermostat at 67 degrees Fahrenheit for the best dosing environment. Um, 
so that is, let's just do the calculation. So 67 degrees Fahrenheit to Celsius. So we are looking at about 19 degrees. Try and keep your bedroom at around 19. It's easier said than done uh, when the computer keeps telling me we are at a record high. Um, remember, okay, this is how it fits. I get it now. Remember saying, no thanks, let's do brunch to a late night activity might be the healthiest solution for you. Um, even if you end up doing a digital brunch. I suppose if you're a night owl, if you are somebody who does function better at night, if you are more sociable in the evening, or if a lot of your social life revolves around alcohol, and so you don't particularly want to be drinking at 11 o'clock in the morning, uh, that might not be one for you. But I think the point about sleep is really important, even if you are not going to switch your social life. Uh, number seven, end your shower with an invigorating blast. After you've scrubbed yourself with warm water, switch to cold water for 30 seconds. Um, you'll get a big burst of energy as your body tries to conserve heat and kicks your circulation into gear. Uh, one study also found that icy temperatures help to release endorphins, which could have an antidepressant effect. Uh, I like a hot shower. I always come out of my shower every morning looking like a tomato. My bathroom is always so steamy. Um, so this one I don't think is for me. It would be interesting to try, but I'm not sure that that is one that I am going to enjoy very much. Um, cold showers are not, uh, are not for me at all. Number eight, refill your water bottle hourly. Uh, one in five children and young adults are reported as not having a single drop of water on a given day, according to a JAMA paediatrics report. So 20% of our young people are going through a whole day without drinking water. Your body needs fluids to maintain proper functioning and dehydration can lead to constipation, dizziness, confusion, and low blood pressure. Now, this is really hard for us as teachers because our breaks are limited, because it is frowned upon for us to have drinks in the classroom. We're allowed to send our children out to refill their water bottles. We can out to refill our, their water bottles, but we don't necessarily have time to do that for ourselves. But it is really important to keep yourself hydrated. So be sure to constantly refill your water bottle every hour. Um, a nine ounce water bottle, well, okay, the, the article suggests having a nine ounce water bottle to measure your intake through the day. But I suppose as long as you know how much your water bottle takes, as long as you know the capacity, you can keep on top of it. But do keep yourself hydrated. Now, last week we talked about the medication that for my depression and anxiety, and I learned... I think it was last summer I learned this, and I did do it as a PSA on the show, but I will do it again, that there are certain antidepressants, there are certain medications that can be dehydrating. So if you are on 
I'm going to say if you're on any kind of medication, but particularly if you are on an antidepressant, do make sure that you are being adequately hydrated. Okay, because you don't want the dehydrating effect of your medication to almost counteract what it's doing in helping your body to absorb endorphins. Number nine says steep up your morning routine. Oh, okay, I know where this is going and I don't like it. Um, I like tea, but I need coffee in the morning. Let's see. Adding tea to your AM can help support a healthy heart. Okay, adding tea. Adding tea. So I'm assuming that I don't need to replace my coffee with tea. I just need to have another drink, which is fine because we're keeping up our fluids. Research shows that drinking green tea regularly may lower your bad cholesterol levels. Studies have also found that people with a habit of drinking black tea have a lower risk of developing heart disease. Tea is a major source of naturally occurring heart-healthy flavonoids. I love the word flavonoid because I always think it sounds like stuff that tastes really nice is really healthy. I always think it's flavonoid. Um, I know it's not, but I like the idea that you can eat tasty stuff, drink tasty stuff, and it will be good for your for your body. Uh, tea is a major source of naturally occurring flavonoids, and taking in a daily dose of at least 200 to 500 milligrams of flavonoids can help keep your heart ticking over efficiently. All right, so your flavonoids. If you are a gym bunny, if you're somebody who measures your macros as you kind of make your evening meal, do the same with your beverages. So know how many flavonoids you are getting in your teas, in your coffees, if there's flavonoids in coffee, I don't know. Um, and try and make sure that you are hitting that daily dose of 200 to 500 mg. Um, it's hard, isn't it, measuring everything that we have to have, measuring your five a day of fruit and veg, measuring your eight glasses of water, now measuring your flavonoids. But if these are the things that are going to keep us healthy and happy, they're, they're the things that we should be doing. They're the things that we should be prioritizing. No, I do not like number 10. Sorry, good housekeeping. Number 10 says, stash the cookie jar. No, no, I need my biscuits. I need my biscuits. Um, set out a giant fruit bowl instead. You'll be then more likely to reach for an apple or a banana. There really is something to the old adage, out of sight, out of mind, according to John, sorry, Dawn Jackson Blattner, who wrote The Superfood Food Swap. In your pantry, move healthy staples like quinoa, nuts and canned beans to the front of shelves at eye level and put your processed foods on a high shelf. I'm going to be honest and say that I think if in my department we replaced our biscuit barrel with a fruit bowl, I would be less likely to eat anything. I wouldn't swap out my biscuit for an apple. I would just not eat anything. Instead, I would not snack, which I don't think is necessarily healthy itself. Um, so I'm here as a um, as a, an advocate for biscuits uh, and saying, don't have to swap out your biscuits for fruit. Just make sure that you are having a decent diet. Um, <laughs> Tim texted in to say that he would get his steps in just going to find biscuits. Yes, exactly. Exactly. A biscuit quest, I think, to get your 10,000 steps, which I don't think we need to do anymore, do we? They changed that. 
they lowered it, I believe. Um, but it will balance out. It will balance out. It's like the, the ancient Greeks said, you know, everything in moderation. If you live a life of balance, then you are living a good life. And if it was good enough for the Greeks, then it's good enough for us. Guess which presenter is a classicist? Uh, take a lunchtime stroll. I do do this. I do do this. I disappear at lunchtime. Um, I find it very helpful as a, a reset. So the way my school day is structured, we have um, two lessons, then break, two lessons, then lunch, and then three lessons. Um, and so I do quite like going out for a walk at lunchtime. There's a canal um, quite close to my school. So I go down there, I just walk along the towpath, uh, 15 minutes in one direction. I turn around 15 minutes back and then I'm back in my classroom. Um, I do find it gets me hot and sweaty and sticky, which might not be too pleasant for whoever I'm teaching in the afternoon. Um, but I do find that it just gives my brain a bit of a break. Uh, I do find that it allows me to decompress from anything that happens in the morning and, and almost start again for afternoon school, uh, which I think is, is really, really important. Um, the article does talk about, you know, getting a treadmill. Uh, I suppose anybody who has a standing desk might be able to do that. I don't know how, um, how health and safety managers would feel if teachers started asking for a standing desk and a treadmill in their classroom, as opposed to a teacher desk and a chair. Uh, I have a feeling all sorts of risk assessments would have to be carried out if you're putting a treadmill in the classroom because the kids would jump on it. We all know they would. Um, but I think that could be quite entertaining, trying to deliver your lesson while walking on a treadmill. There should be some research in there, see if that helps. Uh, number 12, tackle a DIY manicure. That's quite ironic, given that I've been picking up my fingernails this whole show so far. Um, if you can't make it to the salon, don't fret, because you can bring the salon home to you. Uh, keeping your nails trim and proper is one thing. And that's true. I'm awful at trimming my nails because I, ju I do just pick them. I shouldn't, but I do. I'm sorry. Um, but you may also stock up your favourite colours to keep them brilliantly coloured all on your own. And I think that's a good one. That's not going to be for everybody. I personally don't colour my nails. Um, that's not a gender thing. That's just because it's not something that, that I like to do. It's not something I've ever seen the need to do for myself. But I think there is something there to be said for thinking about your appearance, thinking about your accessories and picking things that make you feel good. So if you are a teacher who's, um, who's, staff dress code insists that you wear a tie get some ties that you like some bright colors some funny patterns clearly nothing inappropriate um but you know get some nice ones during the the pandemic um i started to get into the habit of coordinating my tie and my mask and that was always quite fun i quite enjoyed it. um it was nice just to take a couple of minutes every day and think you know what colour am I going to be today? Um, I know somebody who has a variety of cufflinks 
and he switches out his cufflinks every day depending on his mood um and so you can always when you've when you've worked out his pattern you can tell what kind of mood he's in by just checking what cufflinks he's wearing that day so you know take it's not necessarily about taking pride in your appearance and it's not necessarily about saying that appearance is everything but it's about saying there are lots of ways that you can kind of make yourself feel a bit better through the choices that you make with not necessarily your clothes, but your accessories. Uh, number 13, pamper your feet too. Doing a pedicure is so much more than just painting your nails. You can also work to remove calluses and help make your feet feel baby soft. Okay, I don't know about you, but my teacher shoes are awful. They are so uncomfortable. Um, I really don't like teacher shoes at all. I'm very lucky because my staff dress code says for footwear, we can wear shoes that are appropriate for our job. And my job involves lots of walking back and forth between sites. Um, so I do get away quite often with being able to wear walking shoes, uh, which are much more comfortable than dress shoes. But if you do have to wear dress shoes, then look after your feet. Okay, make sure that you take care of any dry skin, any calluses. Again, it's not about getting the nail varnish out, although you can if you want to. But you know how they say that you can tell a lot about how somebody feels about themselves by the shoes that they're wearing. If they've taken the time to polish the shoes, to make sure that they are laced up properly, uh, to make sure that their laces are matching, that the shoes match the belt, match the bag, then that means that they have good self-esteem because it's about taking care of the little things if you've got good self-esteem if you're feeling good about yourself you're going to be taking care of the little things and and that's kind of here too because nobody at school is going to see your feet unless you've got a school with a very relaxed dress code that lets you wear sandals uh but i don't know any school that does that for health and safety reasons um but no one's going to see your feet. And so taking care of them is, in fact, an act for you. It's about saying, I am going to take this time. I deserve to take this time to look after this part of my body that no one is going to see because I'm always wearing shoes and socks, but I'm prioritizing it because I am important. Uh, number 14. So we're not even halfway through the list because I talk too much. I apologize. But this actually is quite a good one, I think, for us to end on. I think this is going to be the one that I try to implement as my as my goal this week. Number 14 says create a yay list. So we hear a lot about keeping a gratitude list, things that you are grateful for. And I think gratitude is a great way to live. I think it is important to recognize that we are lucky to be here and that other people have positive effects on our lives and so we should be grateful for that. But I also think that gratitude can quite often be, it takes away your self-efficacy. It decentralizes you and it centralizes the thing for which you are grateful. And the thing that we're trying to do here, that I'm trying to do here, is to make you remember that you as a person are important. So I quite like this idea of a yay list, where instead of writing down things that you are grateful for, you write down things that have gone well in the day. 
Now, let's be honest, it's probably going to be the same stuff. We're just framing it in a different way. But framing is important. The way you see things, the way you perceive things is important because that's how your brain is processing. That's the reality that your brain is creating. So if you are creating a list of things that have gone well, they might be things that you are also grateful for. But you are then centering your own interaction in that you are not centering the person who did something for you. You are not centering the fact that the student handed in their homework on time and making the student the core in the thing that went well. You are making yourself the core because you are saying my response to this is a positive one. My response to this is an excited one. And then this is where good housekeeping makes up for trying to take away my biscuits because it's telling me to buy a new notebook and I'm always up for buying the new notebook. It says snag a fun new journal to motivate you. It will get you thinking with daily prompts about what inspired you, times you felt strong and more. So just create a list of things that went well. WWW, what went well? Not necessarily things that you are grateful for, but things that you succeeded at during the day. So that's going to be what I do over the coming week. And I will report back to you next time. I will let you know how I got on with my yay list and whether it made a, a difference to me. Please do stay tuned um, because as I talked about last week, we have got loads of amazing uh, new and old presenters in who are filling up the station. So after I leave today, uh, we have a couple of other shows happening. Um, so do make sure that you are staying tuned for those. We have got Peter coming on at one to have lunch with you. See, you never have to eat alone with Teacher Talk Radio. You've got company for breakfast and lunch. And then we've got Graham on at five. Then don't forget at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning, uh, we've got the TTR Week in Review. So do stay tuned for that one. That's followed by Maud tomorrow evening at five. Oh, and there is lunchtime tomorrow. We've got some Nazia and Krupa are on at one o'clock. I am not with you next Saturday morning, unfortunately, because I am teaching. Um, so I'll speak to you in two weeks time. But any Germanists out there, if you think you're going to miss me and you want to listen to me droning on about something else, before the next session. I am speaking at Leeds University on the 19th. So that's a week on Tuesday. Um, I'm running, I'm doing a little talk on um, Kinder und Hausmärchen on fairy tales and how we can use fairy tales to inspire the Germanists in our school. And that is part of a day that is being run at Leeds University um, for German teachers looking at how we can incorporate Germanic culture more into our lessons. So I have tweeted out links and I will tweet out links to that. Um, but if you fancy coming along, hearing me talk and then hearing some people who are more interesting than me talk, uh, please do. And if you do come along, please do stop by and say hello. Um, I'm always, always excited to meet listeners. But for now, and for two weeks, I wish you well. Just think, by the time we have breakfast, we will be about halfway through the half term, okay? So we can do this. Remember, look after yourselves, practice this self-care because it is important, and I will speak to you soon. Goodbye. 
You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.